Turn in the Word of God to the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 5. You'll find that on page 1029 in the Pew Bibles, Matthew 5, and I'll read the verses 1 through 12, those verses that are commonly known as the Beatitudes. The sermon this morning will focus on the second beatitude, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, but I'll read them all. Listen, this is the Word of God. See, in the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when He sat down, His disciples came to Him. And He opened His mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let us come and ask God for His help as we open His Word. Gracious Father, we come as children to sit before You humbly, asking that You would teach us the things that we need to know about ourselves and about the Lord Jesus Christ, Your Son, our Savior. We cover the presence of the Holy Spirit that He who inspired Your Word would now illuminate us so that we might see with clarity wonderful things in Your Word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is no surprise if I say that children like to have fun. Wise parents have figured that if they can make tidying up a bedroom a game, then children will not think of it as a chore. And those of us who catechize our children know that children love catechism, especially if you can put the words of the catechism to song and action and make it somewhat of a competition between siblings. Children love fun. But we do expect children to grow up and to grow out of fun. We do expect them to realize at a certain point in their life that life is not always easy. There are things that we just must do even though they are unpleasant, and there are experiences that we face that are difficult and challenging. In fact, life is hard. This is not something that our culture wants to really believe. We live in a culture that is driven by fun. This has been noticed by cultural commentators over the past number of years. And one illustration of that is the number of young men who live in their parents' basement playing video games, 
rather than getting married and contributing faithfully to society through a family. Or you think about uh, how funerals are not uh, an opportunity to reflect on death so much as a celebration of life. Our culture shies away from anything that is weighty and solemn and serious. We like things trivial and light and funny. And this has impacted the church as well. We are never immune from cultural influences. Worship should be entertaining, should leave us feeling good about ourselves. And the plethora of passages in the Bible that express the lament of the people of God is often not heard in Christian churches today. Or you think about the amount of money that we have as a culture. And so we're able to to buy our boats and our sleds and our quads and all these other things, these RVs, and live for fun. We do our work throughout the week, but we're living like everyone else for the weekend. We just bear with the, 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 the difficulty of work so that at the end, as our reward, we can have fun. We are in an entertainment-driven culture. And our Lord Jesus speaks to this culture with words that are so contradictory to society's basic presuppositions. And our Lord says to us, blessed are those who mourn. Or as John Stott so helpfully puts it, happy are the unhappy. And again, because we are influenced by our culture, we do well this morning to listen carefully to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ as he says to us, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, what is it to mourn? Well, let's first think about what it isn't. Mourning isn't having a melancholy character like some people do. Some of you children might remember Eeyore in uh, Winnie the Pooh's story. And there is a, uh, uh, Eeyore always thinks of things negative. He never has anything to smile about. Everything is just gloomy and dark. One morning, Piglet cheerfully says, good morning. And Eeyore says, I suppose it is for some people. That's the way he is. He's always negative about things. And, and some people have that bent to their character where they don't see things positively. Uh, Their life is lived in a minor key rather than in a major key. Well, that's not what it is to mourn. Nor is mourning sadness about things in our experiences, like death or the loss of loved ones or tensions within family relationships or difficulties with our health. That is not mourning. Well, then what is biblical mourning. Obviously, there's a sadness attached to it. No one is sad about things that go our way, so there's sadness because things are not the way that we would like them to be. We're disappointed. But biblical mourning always has a Godward focus. Biblical mourning is sadness of heart because the world has been ruined. This wonderful world that was created by God so that when he looked at it on the seventh, the sixth day, he said that all was good and humanity was very good. 
This creation which has now faced the devastation and the decreation of sin is what causes Christians to mourn. It's not just bare sadness. It's sadness because God's creation has been ruined. And this sadness is, comes to us because of situations in our life, because of sin, the sinful impact in this world, like death and natural disasters and, and broken relationships. This is not the way that God designed the world to be. He designed the world for life, for happiness, for fellowship, for joy. And we look all around us and we see that that is so far uh, removed from the way that God designed it. There's just so many disasters and so many ruined lives in this world. And that burdens us. The situations that have been caused because of sin are a weight upon us, and we are burdened. We mourn the situations of life, and we mourn the sin that is in this world. Remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, tears of of sorrow flow from my eyes because your law is not obeyed. Or think about what the Apostle Paul says about some people. They are enemies of the cross of Christ, he says, and I say this with tears. And you look at the arrogance and the rebellion of our world. It's godlessness. It's celebration of what is evil. It's uh, denigration of what is good. And it breaks our heart. It burdens us because of human sin and rebellion. Or you think about the church, the situation of the church. It's insipidness. It's triviality the way it has moved from the moorings of the Word of God so that human opinion is elevated above the truth of God. That causes us, like Jeremiah the prophet, to lament because of the state of the church of Jesus Christ. It's worldliness, it's godlessness, it's division, it's rancor and acrimony. These are not things that ought to be amongst us, the carelessness, the the deadness of heart, the indifference to things, to the things of God. That's the state of the church, and and it wearies us, and it burdens us. We mourn because of the sin of the church. And who here doesn't mourn because of our own sin, our disobedience, our rejection of the will of God, sins of our thoughts, sins of our words and actions. And when you think about the fact that we sin against grace, against a God who has been so incredibly kind and gracious to us, you feel the weight and burden of that, don't you? And when you think that our sins cost the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, the holy, sinless Son of God, He who is gentle and lowly of heart, to think that our sins required His death. That burdens us. It's a weight upon us. And we mourn. So that's what biblical mourning is. It's not just sadness of heart, but sadness of heart because situations and actions in this life are contrary to God's design 
They dishonor his glory. They malign the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they create incalculable harm and suffering. That's what biblical mourning is. Well, what does biblical mourning look like? Do there, does there have to be tears for us to be qualified as mourners? I suppose for some of us that would be the appropriate response. But of course, we're all different. We have different characters and dispositions. And so what might be true for you might not be true for someone else. It might not be true for me. Some of us cry more easily than others. Some of us never cry at all or hardly ever, even at great devastation and loss in our lives. So it's not that we must all cry and have tears of sorrow, but we must all be affected by the devastation that sin has created in this world and the rebellion against God. We must all feel the weight of a God who has been dishonored. We must all feel with gravitas the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is most often spoken of in cursing, then in blessing. This must weigh upon us. This must, must, we must feel this. It's, it's not that we can't sing or be joyful. The Word of God tells us that a cheerful heart is good medicine and that there is a time to cry as well as a time to laugh. But we should not be unaffected by the devastating reality of sin in this world and all of its ugly forms and all of its destructive qualities. We must be mourners before God. So how do you fare? Are you carefree like the world? Does it bother you at all that the world is the way that it is? Or do you just say that's the way things are and you move on with life? Isn't it true that as Christians we should at least mourn for this? That we don't mourn the way we should mourn. That we're too okay with the way things are. So that we do not long sufficiently with eager expectation for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ when he returns in glory at the end. We mourn, but we don't mourn as we should. Well, what comes after mourning? Well, listen to what our Lord Jesus says. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And what we have here is, is what scholars call the divine passive. It's not just that they will receive comfort from, say, a raid on the fridge, or buying something on the internet, or going out with friends, or having some fun. That's not what this is talking about. The comfort is the comfort that God Himself gives. So you could say, blessed are those who mourn because they shall be comforted by God Himself. Now, how does God bring comfort? Well, we know that there is always a, a future element in these Beatitudes, that, that you can see this by by the word, they shall be. There's a future orientation. And so we think that in the future we shall be comforted. There is a time coming when burdens will be over, when sorrow will cease. And we know that that happens because of our Lord Jesus Christ, the great Savior of His people. 
Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah 61 verse 2 that the, the Lord Jesus was given the Spirit of God in order that he might comfort those who mourn. And the way the Lord Jesus comforts his people is by taking upon himself the sorrows and sadness that sin has caused. Remember what Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, that Jesus is the man of sorrows, and he's acquainted with grief. He took upon himself our sorrows. The burdens of his people have become his burdens. Just look at Jesus as he stands at the grave of Lazarus, his beloved friend who died. Jesus weeps at the grave because he sees the the sadness that sin has caused. But it's not just weeping that we see. Jesus, we see, was also deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled because he knew why Lazarus had died. That death is the most unnatural thing in this world. That this isn't the way that God had designed creation in the beginning. And he sees what effect Satan has had on this world by tempting Adam and Eve to sin. And what cruelty sin causes in this world. So that our Lord is deeply moved in his spirit and, and greatly troubled. He is a man of sorrows. Or come with me as we see Jesus looking over the city of Jerusalem and weeping for it because of its recalcitrance, because of its disobedience, its refusal to receive him as their Lord and Savior. He weeps, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Our Lord Jesus weeps over the sins of Jerusalem. Or come with me to the Garden of Gethsemane, as the Lord Jesus contemplates going to the death of the cross. He falls down to the ground, overwhelmed with sorrow even unto death, as the specter of God's judgment hangs over him, as the agony and anguish of the cross await him. He cannot take it in. He is broken. He mourns because of human sin and what redemption will cause. Or take a look at the Lord Jesus on the cross. With loud cries and tears, he cries out to his Father, Hear the cry of dereliction, of forsakenness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, our Lord Jesus understands what it is to mourn. He knows what it is to be brokenhearted, to be devastated because of the ruin of sin. He knows what it's like to bear the sin of the world upon his own shoulders, to bear the consequences of sin and the judgment of God in order that all things might one day be united in him, that he might reconcile all things, whether in heaven or on earth, to himself through the blood of the cross. Ah, no one understands mourning like Jesus Christ, the man of sorrows, the one familiar with sufferings. And so in his first coming, our Lord Jesus enters into the sadness of our sin, condition and bears it himself, but he does so not to become overwhelmed and destroyed by it, 
but He does it in order to bring us solace. And so if He suffers with sadness in His first coming, His second coming will be remarkably different. We're given a glimpse of that in the Revelation of John, that on that day when Christ returns, when His glory is revealed, then suffering will be over, sadness will be gone. Even death itself, the greatest enemy of humanity, even death itself will die. God will make all things new. And our gracious and kind God will wipe away all tears from our eyes. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, and no one shall take their joy from them. So that's the future that we look forward to. That's the promise of our Lord Jesus Christ. And who better to promise it than the one who secures our comfort by entering into the tragedy of human sin and suffering and overcoming it by His death and resurrection. So there is a future expectation of comfort. But what about now? Does Jesus do anything for us now? Or does He just leave us in the mess of life and telling us to suck it up or to do the best we can or or just to wait, hold on, because it will get better? Is, Is that His words of consolation to us? Not at all. Even now, in the midst of suffering and sadness, our Lord Jesus brings us solace. I was thinking about the Lord's Supper this week in light of this. It's, uh, it's, not, it's not the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's in the future when we will gather with Abram and Isaac and Jacob and nations from north, south, east, and west sitting at the table with our Lord Jesus in the heavenly realms. But this is something. It's not nothing. This is This is a table prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. And and at this Lord's table, the Lord Jesus comes and He gives us solace. He reminds us that our sins have been forgiven, that sin itself has been defeated, that Satan will one day be thoroughly destroyed, that all things will be be made new. Here is a taste of future glory right now. And that's what our God does, not only in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, but as He ministers to us through His Word, through the fellowship of His saints. He comforts us in our sorrows. He strengthens us in our sadness. When we are faint-hearted, He comes to our aid and ministers to us His tender grace. Remember what the psalmist said. I think we used it as our call of worship a number of weeks ago in Psalm 30. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. You see, it is possible. And you know this, that the Lord does grant comfort and consolation to your weary, tired, burdened souls day by day, sometimes in spectacular ways, but sometimes just in the mundane experiences of life. He comes to you and comforts you. He reminds you 
that everything is okay, that he is on the throne, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the conqueror, that your sins have been taken care of, that the enemy has been destroyed, and he tells you that one day all things will become new as he encourages you to look to the glory that will be revealed. He comforts you. He tells you, not uh, directly, but through his word and through his saints, he tells you that this is the day of sorrow. But there is coming a day where sorrow will be banished and it will be pure, unadulterated, unmitigated joy and gladness. Because the cause of all suffering and sorrow and sin will be itself destroyed. And we will enter into the joy of our salvation, into the fullness of joy at the right hand of the Father on high. There's joy for the people of God, even in the midst of sadness. But it is for the people of God. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's only those who mourn who shall be comforted. Just listen again from Psalm 30. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. That's for the saints, for those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, who have trusted in Him and have received Him as their Savior and Lord. Because if if Jesus hasn't taken the weight of sorrow and sadness, well, then you're going to have to take it yourself. And it isn't pretty at all. Listen to these sobering words from our Lord Jesus from, from Luke 6 and In Luke's version of the Beatitudes, Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. So that those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, they will pursue laughter and frivolity and joy in this life. But that's all the joy that they're going to get. This life is as good as it's going to be for them, and it isn't that good at all, even then. But then afterwards hell, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. For the righteous, joy comes with the morning. For the unrighteous, after mourning, there is only more mourning. So I urge all of you who are strangers to the Lord Jesus, who do not know Him as your own Savior and Redeemer, that you come to Him And just think about how gracious he is, how willing he is to receive. You know, he weeps over Jerusalem because he wished their salvation. He desired to gather them under his wings as a hen gathers her brood. But it's they who are unwilling. Don't you be unwilling to come to the Lord Jesus and to know the comfort of his grace in this life and the expectation of pure joy and happiness in the life to come. Christ is the answer to all of life's sorrows and joys, or to all of life's sorrows and burdens. 
Every Scottish clan, you know, has its own particular tartan, its colors, and also its own motto and clan crest. And uh, the motto and clan crest of the clan Ferguson is Dulcius ex Asperis, and then there's a picture of a thistle with a bee, like a buzzing bee, bzz bee. And um, Dulcius ex Asperis means sweetness out of bitterness. And the picture there of the bee is that supposedly the nectar of a thistle is very bitter, but the bee is able to make sweet honey out of the bitter nectar of the thistle. And it is such a wonderful illustration of how the grace of God works, that none of our trials and difficulties and burdens are wasted, but God, by His grace and tender mercy through His Word and Spirit, He takes the nectar of the thistles of our life and makes honey out of them, sweetness through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why whatever trial or difficulty you are going through right now, however heavy the burden you are experiencing now, or whatever uh, apprehensions you might have about the future, know this, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, because the trials and difficulties of our life lead us to the man of mourning, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is our great consolation and our ever-sweet Savior. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let's pray together. O gracious and ever-blessed God, we thank You for Your Word, which brings to us such comfort in the midst of sadness and sorrow. We thank You that You have spoken to us in Your Word as You have shown us the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray that You would draw us to our Savior, that we might rest in Him, that we might be comforted in His mercy, resting upon His finished work, knowing that the night will soon be over, morning will arise, and with morning will come joy. And we pray this in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen.